The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Okay, so welcome to premarital counseling. I hope that's what you all were, that's the class y'all were coming for. Um, This is going to be just kind of a a smattering of what we would normally do in two nights. We're going to kind of do it in one. Brian already talked about some of the stuff that I would normally talk about last night. So um, I think condensing is probably going to be okay. Just an introduction for me. I'm Jason. Um, I'm one of the uh, elders here at Park, also on staff here at Park. Um, I'm the, my title is Pastor of Family and Care. Um, have a kind of a, a passion for walking with couples through premarital and like just early on years in their marriage. So it's kind of what me and my wife are really passionate about. This gentleman over here on the left, he probably hates that I'm going to do this. His name is Gabe uh, Rodriguez. He's one of, uh, he and his wife, Amanda, are one of our premarital mentors. So they're like the people that you would meet with to walk through the five sessions of premarital counseling um, with part. Um, this, this seminar kind of kicks off that, um, it kicks off that particular deal. So it's the first thing you do, and then you would go through the classes with a, with a mentor couple. So, um, at the end, I'll kind of have some questions for you or kind of next steps for you guys to do. But for now, um, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll get to work. Sound good? Great. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Um, Lord, thank you that you have um, made something called marriage to reflect something of what you're like, to reflect something of your character. Um, so Lord, we thank you for that. Um, I thank you for the love that you have for each and every one of these people who sit here and the fact that you sing over them to do them good. No matter what they come in here with as a couple, no matter what they come in here with during their day, you love them. You sing over them to do them good. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you love us, that you are kind, um, that you are a gentle Savior. Um, Lord, I pray for tonight. I pray that you would help me to speak well. Um, You'd help me to speak wisely. um, And that... uh, it would be clear. Things coming across would be very clear. Um, and that you would bless these couples tonight. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. A um, couple housekeeping things. Down this hallway here, if you go out, out the door here and then down the hallway on the right, all the way down on the left, there's two bathrooms. So in case you need to use the restroom, go ahead and just get up and go. Um, we'll take a break kind of right in the middle of this. Um, but we do have quite a bit to cover, so we're going to try and run through it fast. Um, Last thing before we get started, it's better, this class is better if you guys are kind of interactive. So I'm gonna give some time to let you give, not feedback per se, but let you give um, thoughts on what we're talking about. So please speak up, because it's much better if you're actually speaking up. Come on in, yeah, we can put these two, yeah, we can put these two together. So anyway, if I ask you questions, please speak up because it'll make it much, much better. So first thing, first thing we're going to talk about tonight is the definition of marriage. Um, I will be honest, I missed kind of the first half of Brian yesterday. So I don't know if he covered this. If he did, please let me know and we can kind of move on. But it's important if he didn't. So um, our, our culture tends to define marriage um, as... Um, I get married in order to meet my needs. Does that make sense? So culture, uh, kind of our surrounding culture would say, um, I get married so that this person will make me happy. So that this person will love me and serve me. 
Does that make sense? That's kind of what our culture does. Um, the, the biblical definition of marriage is, is not that. I get married so that I can lay down my life and for, to love and serve someone else. That's the biblical definition of marriage. Um, the other thing that, that our culture tends to do is um, it tends to uh, define marriage um, as a contract, right? So you got two people, and my drawings are not good because I'm not a good drawer. Can you guys all see that pretty well? Pretty well? This is going to be a lady. Great. Um, so you've got a man and a woman, and they enter into a contract of marriage. Contract of marriage would be um, you will uphold your end of it, and I will uphold my end of it, and as long as that works out, we're good. Can you guys see okay over there? All right, cool. So as long as that works out, we're both good. What happens in a contract when one party doesn't uphold their end of the bargain? What? It's void. So what, is that, what does that come to? Comes to what? Canceled. So divorce, right? So I am not upholding my end of the bargain. My wife, I'm not, I'm not doing what I should be doing according to her. And so she can then say, well, you're not upholding your end of the bargain, so we're done. Right? Bible defines a marriage... I don't know why I erased my box, but the Bible defines marriage differently. It defines it as a covenant. It's similar to our relationship with God himself. So he covenants with us to say, I'll never leave you or forsake you, right? So the Bible defines marriage as I enter into a covenant, she enters into the same covenant, we enter into a covenant before God to say, no matter what happens, I'm never going to leave. Does that make sense? So, I'm here, and, and I'm not going to leave. So, you may not be upholding your end of the bargain, right? You may not be doing what you said you were going to do, but I'm here. And that, that mirrors our relationship with God. We don't uphold anything, right? We are constantly, day after day after day, sinning, and we don't uphold our end of the bargain. But, but he doesn't leave us. He's bound himself to us. So that's what, that's what a biblical definition of marriage is. Does that make sense? I kind of rushed through that, but it's important for what we need to get to to talk about, particularly tonight. Any questions on that? No? Okay. A um, couple of things real quick, on, just again on love. Um, modern love tends to be, what I, I want what you can do for me or how you make me feel. Does that make sense? So you, you get together, you're really, really giddy to be with the person that you're with. Um, you sit on the couch with them, you put your arm around her, put your arm around him, it's great. You're looking at each other, stars in your eyes, smiling, it's awesome. But that's not how the Bible defines, that's not how the Bible defines love. Um, let's read uh, quick. Let's flip to Ephesians 5, if you got a Bible, um, or if you got a phone, that's cool too, if you got a, a Bible up on your phone. Let's, flip to, let's go to Ephesians 5, and we're going to read um, 25 through 27. You guys all there? You probably beat me there. All right, so um, Ephesians 5, and we're going to read 25 through 27. 
And this is gonna this is gonna highlight for us what a biblical definition of love is. It says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So according to this passage, what what is love? This is where you can be interactive. What? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Explain that a little bit. Um, You're correct, but but explain a little bit. Right. He lays down his life for us. That's the definition of love. If we were to turn to Galatians 2.20, we'd say the same thing. Christ, um, Christ loved him and gave himself up for me. That's basically Galatians 2.20. So a a biblical definition of love is um, a laying down of your life for the good of the other person. And we get that example by our Savior. Now, again, the culture's definition of love is I I just want what you can bring for me. I just want what you can do for me. And once you can't do it anymore, guess what happens? That's gone. But that's not our call because that's not how God approaches us. That makes sense? Cool. Cool. Um, let's see here. The other thing about this, um, let's read a Keller quote real quick. I want to read a Tim Keller quote to you again on love. Um, this is just to further bring home this last point. Love is commitment to minister to the needs and best interests of another person over your own. Love then is expressed through actions. M. Scott Peck writes that love is not primarily a feeling by which we are overwhelmed. The desire to love is not love itself. Love is as love does. Love is an act of the will, namely both an intention and an action. Another way to put this is, love is the desire and consequent actions necessary to make a person truly great and truly happy. These definitions point to the fallacy inherent in the claim couples often make, we just don't love each other anymore. This is to see love as sentiment. But love is not sentiment, even though strong feelings may often accompany it. Love is a choice, and we can choose to love a person or choose not to love in spite of what we may feel toward them. Love is commitment, not feelings. Thus, we can love our enemies when we serve them, as we see in Luke 6. Love is to put the needs and good of the other person ahead of our own. To love is to put the best interests of the other first. In the Bible, love is not primarily a feeling, though it contains feelings. Love is a habitual way of thinking and acting towards someone else. When we do the activity of love, the feelings of love follow. When our feelings of love dry up, it's usually because we have stopped the activity. Parents learn to meet the needs of babies, though they get nothing in return. As a result, a deep, unconditional love grows for the child. But when our spouse acts like a baby, we tend to withdraw the activity of love, hence our feelings of love dry up. Questions about that? Thoughts on it? It's quite a different way of thinking about love. Um, it's funny, my wife and I were watching with our kids um, Princess Bride a few weeks ago. <laughs> and there's so much talk in that movie on true love, true love, true love. I, I don't despise the Princess Bride. Um, but there's, just, there's a concept in our culture that, where people often wait to say, well, I just, I just need to have the right feeling about someone. Or... 
Um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm waiting for my true love. Um, love. Love comes from deep, rich love that, that lasts a marriage for 50 years, a good marriage. It comes from people being willing to lay down their desires for one another. Gabe, you want to give an example maybe of like what in, in everyday life, what's laying down your life look, look like? I'm putting you on the spot. And you don't have a lapel mic, so it's not recording you. I, uh, I've been married 12 years ago. I'm a great example. My wife, she's a pretty smart lady. And early before we got married, she, she kind of just laid it out on Most of my cases, I kind of expect all this to be my partner. This is, this is the person my soul, you're my soulmate, right? Chosen one. And she just looked at me and she said, you can't depend on me to happen. Crazy, but we have to do it. And we're going to get to it. She's absolutely right. You know, I, I have to, I have to take care of myself. And the minister is going to find is you're going to find things that your wife loves to do. Or love And you're going to choose that over your comfort. I, about four years ago, my son started. And I used to work shift work, I worked 12 hour days, and I came home and I did the same thing. Come home, I shower, and dinner, and then I go sit on the TV for about 10 minutes and then I fall asleep. And the one day she just had a huge little help. You guys hear me, I'm sorry, I talk about it. Um, so I use a little help. I have a father who was, who was from Mexico. He's kind of old school. Not a day in his life he helped me with my mother. Not a day in his life he did dishes. Not a day in my life he comforted And my, my initial response was, you guys don't lie. Don't try to My initial thought was, woman, I worked all day. But my immediate action was, Okay. And I said, on my way home, I drive home, I go in the shower, and I sit down with my son and get home. And then every day, my son knows when I get home, he gets home, we sit in a different room, and we home with him. And it's just a burden, I don't want to call it a burden, but it's small, it's simple. But that's what I'm giving my wife. She asked for my help. It's big or small, and you get a That's that's the first initial. Yeah. You get real good at that too. <laughs> um. I, when we say when I say to you, like laying down your life um, for the good of someone else, it's it's laying some of it's too is laying down your desires for the good of the other person and what they want. So an example, Gabe has got a good example there. Like I don't want to do that when I come home from work. So for me, that's probably like, I come home from work, I would love to just go into the, go into my TV room and turn on the TV and watch Cardinals baseball. I'm sorry if there's Cubs fans in here, um, but I'm a Cardinals fan. So um, I would love to go in and watch a baseball game. My wife has spent all of her day around kids. 
she would love for some interaction with someone who's older than 10 years old. Um, I have, in that moment, a choice to make, right? Like, when I walk through the door, I've got a choice to make. I can either say, I want what I want, and my wife has heard that plenty of times from me. Like, when I, when I realize I'm being selfish, I'll just say, babe, I'm sorry, I, I just want what I want. And it kind of, like, releases some tension because she realizes, oh, he realizes he's being a jerk right now. <laughs> but, like, I've got a choice to make when I walk through that door. It's either I'm going to go do what I want, everything else be damned, or I'm going to love you and serve you by coming and, try and talking to you. Now, that might seem like a small thing, right? It may seem small. But you'll find out this laying down of your desires and laying down of your life for the other person happens in the small things of life, not in the big things. I mean, it's not, it's not relegated to the big decisions in your life. It is all about the small decisions, the small mundane things. It may seem like they don't matter, but they do. Men, let me tell you this. Um, your call in particular in Ephesians 5 is to lay down your life. Like, that's a call kind of across there, but in that passage, it's particular for men. You're supposed to represent Jesus. Like in this, in this drama that gets played out, you play the role of Christ. Women, in the drama that gets played out, according to Ephesians 5, you play the role of the church. So, men, this is what this means for you. It's your particular call to lay down your life and your desires for her. Now, if you want, I don't want to say this like, this is definitely going to happen, but um, men, she will be quicker to follow you if you are doing that in the mundane details of life. If you are laying down your desires for her in the small things, guess what? When you want to move your family across the country, she's probably going to trust you because you've been showing her leadership, what real leadership is like, and that's laying down your life. So she's going to trust you, hopefully. Should be that way. Um, so that's, that's the definition of love. In a covenant, here's the deal about this in a covenant, right? In a covenant versus a contract, because of the nature of a covenant, it creates an atmosphere um, we're going to move just a bit to talk about kind of our sin. What the, what a nature of a, a covenant does, is it creates an atmosphere that says you can be, the, uh, you know, based on that Genesis 2, they were naked and unashamed. That's not just talking about sex. It's talking about I'm laid bare in front of my wife. My sin is evident in front of her. The covenant creates an atmosphere that says it's okay that she knows my junk because she's not going anywhere. Does that make sense? If we're in a contract, and I think, oh, I can't, I can't be real with her. I can't be honest with her. I can't tell her what I struggle with because she might walk away. The nature of a covenant is you're not walking away. And so I know the Elizabeth, Elizabeth's my wife, I know Elizabeth is going to stay here despite of what she sees come out of me. Does that make sense? It creates an atmosphere that says, I'm not going anywhere, so there's an atmosphere of trust there. And you can be naked and unashamed. Um, and, and let me tell you like a little bit, just let you guys in on a secret. You probably already know this. The person that you came here with is messed up. They are jacked up. You are jacked up. You are messed up. 
Um, so just get it out on the table now. If you guys aren't talking about sins and the things that you struggle with, start talking about them. Because the secret's out there. I just, I just ruined it for all of you. Um, he's going to leave some towels on the floor, ladies. He's, you know, he's going to leave stuff. Uh, if you're like me, one of the things that we struggled with was uh, when we first got married, I left dishes in the sink. Men, college days, leaving them in the sink. Yep. In the college days, we would just kind of let those dishes pile up until we had like a mountain of dishes. And then it took like two hours to do dishes. But it's one of the things that we had to deal with. Um, I, I'm, I was a fairly lazy person. I still struggle with laziness. But I can't hide that, right? The good thing about a covenant is she's not, she's not going anywhere. Um, when you guys get into your relationships or into your marriage, um, you're going to get to see what the other person spends money on. It's going to happen. If, if men, if you're like me, I'm horrible with money. I'm getting better, by God's grace, but I'm bad with money. I, couldn't, I could hide that when I was in college. I could hide it because it was just me, right? Once we got a joint bank account, guess what? I can't hide it. When there's no money there for bills, yes, this happened to me. When there's no money there for bills, I can't hide that. She gets to see that junk. Um, they get to see how you eat or how you drink. Do you eat and drink for comfort? I'm just, I'll, I'm bearing all of you guys tonight. I, that's what I struggle with. Like, I struggle with, not, not with the drinking part, not with alcoholism, but I struggle with eating for comfort. If I've got a bad meeting, I, this is going to sound horrible to some of you, and some of you will rejoice, I want to go to Taco Bell. I want to get the number seven chicken quesadilla with a Pepsi, two double-decker tacos. Yes, that is four items. So, like, I, I eat for comfort. That's what I struggle with. Um, but, and I can't hide that. Because you know what I spend money on? is the Taco Bell. So I can't hide either of those things. Um, if you act irritable, you're not going to be able to hide those things. Um, you're you're going to see each other's sin. You're going to see each other's brokenness. Um, and what you are doing when you stand before God, whoever, whoever officiates for you, your friends and family, is you say, I'm entering into a covenant with you. That's why we take vows, right? Vows are mainly said to God not to each other. They're rings. When you, when you say your rings, those are basically said to each other. Vows are said to God. And let me read for you really quick. I, I printed tonight, I printed off um, a wedding, um, just an outline of a wedding I did in the fall. And it, um, I want to read for you the vows because they're crazy. Like A lot of times when you guys get there to your wedding day, you kind of just run through those vows. It's like, yeah, let's do it. Go, go, go. Um, let me read these for you and really stop to think about what you're saying. Says, do you, so-and-so, take so-and-so to be your wife, to have and to hold. That sounds great. That sounds good. Then the next part, for better or for worse. For better sounds good. What do y'all think for worse means? I'm serious. Go ahead. Start throwing some stuff out there. What's for worse? Huh? Addiction. Addiction. Yeah. Addiction. The guy who spends the money on Taco Bell because he's got money problems and he eats for comfort. What's that? Chronic illness. Chronic illness. Right. 
right? Uh, death. Might have, a, might have a death of not necessarily a partner, but, or a partner, but a death of a loved one or a spouse, but of a child. A lot of times you hear divorces that happen because a child dies and people just can't handle it. So you're, you're covenanting to say, to have and to hold for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death parts you. And you say, I do. You stand before this person and you say, no matter what, I'll be here. That creates, that creates a, an atmosphere of trust where you can actually look at each other's sins and forgive. You can actually look at each other's sins and say, I see that junk. I'm not going anywhere. I'll pray for you. I'll be here to walk with you through it. Um, and I'm not going anywhere. Any questions on that stuff? Cool. I felt like I just ran through that. Basically, what you guys just got was almost the entire first night of what we would normally do for premarital if we hadn't done a seminar last night. But it's important for what we're going to talk about kind of for the rest of our night. Any questions? No? Cool. Um, So, next little bit. Um, In light of this, and in light of you... um, you're coming together and you covenant with another person, you should probably learn to know something about that person. You know what I mean? Like you, you right now, you're in a dating relationship. If you're not already, um, I like to say, a student of your spouse, if you're not already a student of the person that you're dating, become a student. Learn what he or she likes. Learn what she likes to do, guys. Um, if she likes roses, write it down somewhere, because if you're like me, I'll forget. Um, if she likes, my wife likes, um, actually she changes on me. She used to like uh, sunflowers, and then I got her sunflowers recently, and she doesn't like sunflowers anymore. Um, she likes, I'm, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, so somebody get ranunculuses? Ranunculus? Ranunculuses? Does that sound right? She likes those. And what's odd is I don't know what they look like. I honestly don't. I haven't even seen them anywhere in like a story. Um, the reason we talk about being a student of your spouse is your call is to love them, lay down your life for them, lay down your desires for them. So you're no longer thinking about yourself. You're not thinking selfishly about you. What can I get out of this? What am I going to get from this marriage? What is this person going to bring to me and give to me? Becoming a student of your spouse kind of orients you toward that if that makes sense. So learn what they like. Learn what they struggle with. What kind of sins do they struggle with? How can you help them walk through those? So my wife, with regards to like the, the wanting to spend money on my poor, poor choices of money spent on Taco Bell because I suffer with wanting to eat food for comfort. She would basically just come home, and I'd come home, and she'd kind of badger me. And I said, I think it's to be better if you just pray that my heart would change. You know what she did? She stopped badgering me, and she prayed for me. And that's where I see change. Like, that's when I started to see change. For us, it just became bickering and fighting over those things. But that's her listening to me and saying, I don't think this is going to help. This isn't going to work. What delights him or her? What do they enjoy doing? 
What kind of activities do they like? Um, if they like hiking, you should probably offer or, or ask, hey, do you want to go for a hike? Um, whatever they like doing, try to set up circumstances where you guys can do those things together. Does that make sense? Cool. Um, the other thing I'd say, just before we, before we move on to something else, um, get a journal, particularly men. Get a journal. The other thing you can do is like Evernote. You guys familiar with Evernote? You can, you can like make lists, just make a list. So like if my wife says, um, she used to like, again, she used to like angel food cake. She no longer likes angel food cake. She likes cupcakes. So I just put an Evernote, Elizabeth likes cupcakes. Um, she said recently, I'd love to go to a bed and breakfast. So I just put in there, date ideas, bed and breakfast. Um, well, there's some of the other things. Anyway, that, that's what I'm talking about. Stuff like that where you can recall this is what she likes to do. This is what he likes to do. Um, and you can actually love and serve them. That's part of laying down your desire for them, is doing things that they like to do. Cool? Um, to, kind of, to kind of further go into this, we're going to talk a little bit about um, forms of love. So you should have a sheet um, at your table. And I think there's one for each of you guys. It should say forms of love at the top. So, how many of y'all are familiar with the C.S. Lewis book, Four Loves? Cool. So, this is kind of come, this is going to come kind of right out of that. So, we're going to kind of walk through, um, we're going to walk through each of these and talk about specific things that would fit in each of these categories. So, as we start, as I start talking about, as people start talking about them, Remember, you want to be a student of your spouse, so if you want to write something down when the lady something like next to you says something, write it down. Feel free. Or the men, you know, if you're, if you're a woman here and you're with a guy, then write it down. Um, so, first thing we're going to talk about, should be the uh, affection is the first one, right? Yeah? So let's throw out, throw out some ideas of what might fit under that category, some specific ideas. Cuddling? Great. My handwriting is as good as my drawing, so you guys are in for a treat. What else? What? Holding hands? Great. Do hand holding. What else? What you'll find generally as I go down, my writing gets smaller. What else? Hugging. What? Hugging? Yeah. What else? There's a big one in here. Oh, sorry, all these are big, but. What? That's probably gonna come in a different one. Save that one. 
Hey, you got it, man. That's the one. Anything else you guys want to throw out? What's that? Affirmation. We may be getting into it. That one may be getting into uh, another one too, but let's say words of affirmation. Anything else you guys want to throw out here? So, again, we're talking about different ways that people experience love. First one we're talking about is affection. Let's move on to friendship. So within the category of friendship, how would someone experience love? If, you, if this is the way you experience love, how do you experience love this way? Listen. plans together. So basically doing the same things together, right? Yeah. What else? Intentionality. Intentionality. Explain that a little bit. friendship. Yeah, well, I mean, that was probably I think you still got it. Yep. Trust? Trust? Explain that a little bit. That's okay. I'll write yours down first. You said showing respect? Explain that. Give me a vignette where you would do that. You know what a vignette is? Or like an example of when you would do it. I'm putting you on the spot. It's Colin, right? Yeah. I'm putting you on the spot now. Sorry, bro. Uh, just listening when she's talking. Eye contact. Okay, okay, okay. Hannah. I can't write that whole thing on this board. I can't write that whole thing on this board. So getting getting to know them? Let's put getting to know them. All right. Okay. Getting to know them. Taking interest. You said support over here? Is that right? Support? Cool. 
Anything else you guys want to get out there before we move on to that one? Or to a different one? Great. Good one. One that we don't think about too often, um, or sorry, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. That's what I was going to say. One we don't think often too much about is um, like being of the same mind. So reading books together. Like my wife and I, particularly with regards to parenting, we read a lot of parenting books together as we were laying in bed at night, and that's kind of how we just went through them. But it helped solidify our parenting philosophy, if that makes sense. Okay, move on to service. Is that the next one you guys got on your sheet? Service? Let's move. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to service then. What are ways someone ex someone would experience love through the category of service? Listening? Cool. Some of these are going to bleed over, so it's okay. Advertising? advertising? Oh, I thought you said advertising. I was going to make you explain that one. If I get too far down, it's just going to get really bad. So. Making dinner? Like for, for her? Cool. All right. Yeah. This one, Gabe, I bet this one comes in particular for everyone, but particularly for when you got kids, right? Making dinner. See, my, there, there are tons of the times where my wife comes home, she's exhausted, I'm exhausted, but one of the ways I can love and serve her is by making dinner. It's almost always a breakfast dinner, but <laughs> that's what Jason makes. What else in service? Food rubs. <laughs> Yeah, buddy. Where'd it go, Ty? I don't know how else to say this, but like compensating almost. Compensating? Yeah. So okay, explain it. I have car trouble and how like serve me by trying to like give me rides and do that kind of stuff. And okay. Okay. Are you guys? Can you guys hear that? Can you speak? Can you speak? Yeah. You um, you were talking to me, so. I don't, I don't really know how else to say it, but like compensating almost. So like I have car trouble and mom like leave extra early for me to take me to work, and like if I'm sick, he'll take extra time to go to the grocery store and get me soup. 
We can't say service because that's the entire category. That's so we have to see that. Anybody have a better word? Compensating? For them. Compromising? Okay. Okay. Tell you what, I'll write compensating just because you said it. But when everyone sees compensating up here, we'll know what it meant. Let's say compromise. How many of y'all struggle? How many of y'all struggle so far? I may be opening a can of worms here. How many of y'all struggle so far with um, your future in-laws not liking you? <laughs> John's the only one. Um, how many of you struggle with? We'll see how many people we can rope in here, John. How many people? How many people? How many of y'all struggle with parents? wanting to play a role in your future marriage. She's laughing, so there's one, John. That's good. All right, so this is likely just because you haven't walked far enough into it yet. Um, so what you find uh, many times is parents want to have a say in your marriage. Where are you guys going to go for Christmas this year? You going to go to their family? You can go to our family. You're coming to our family, right? Is that you, Beck? Is that where are you guys going for Thanksgiving, huh? Where are you going to take them kiddos? Where are them kiddos going to go? They're going to come to my house, right? Is that happening, you Gabe? Is it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so in the category of service, being for the person that you're sitting next to, that is a, that is a huge one within service. So when you walk, this is the amazing thing about what happens on a wedding day. Father, hopefully, if everything, you know, Lord willing, fathers are alive. Father gets to walk her down the aisle. You stand there. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her mother and I do. Takes her hand and says, here. All of the responsibility that I've had to care for her and love her is yours. That is an amazing moment. But what happens is it does actually transfer care of her and what's going to happen in her life over. So a lot of times what happens is, um, this happens to moms particularly, mothers want to continue to mother their sons. It's no longer a mom's job. The wife's job is to, is to love him and take care of him now. It, does that make sense? So what, what it is is you're becoming one flesh. So again, that one flesh is not just about sex. It's, it's way more than that. It is, it is about that, but it's way more than that. It, it's, it's you guys now. You're together. That, that, those two people, they can speak into your marriage. That's fine. They don't control your marriage. You guys do. So being for one another. Um, we might also say being on the same team. You're on a different team now. You're no longer on the one for your parents. Again, that doesn't mean like you're rebelling against them. It just means um, what, what, this happened in our, as an example. This happened in my marriage. Like um, we got married. We had car problems. This is early on in our marriage. We had car problems. And my wife just called her dad. 
who's an amazingly handy guy. He goes here, and so if any of you know him, but he's an amazingly handy guy. But when I found out that she had called, what I said was, hey, can you come to me next time? Most likely I'm going to end up calling your dad. <laughs> but I have that role and responsibility now to care for us. Let me do that. Don't short-circuit that by going straight to him because that's what she did growing up, right? And that's fine. But that transferred, that care now transfers over to me. And like I said, most likely I'm going to end up calling her dad. Um, but that's just a, that's a small example of kind of what we're talking about. But being for one another, being on the same team. Anything else in service? Yeah, go ahead. Great. That's a whole lot of things there. Can you narrow it down into one word? What? Adaptable? Yeah. Let's write adaptable. Yeah, I think that's great. Anything else in there? All right. So the next one, um, the next form is eros or erotic. So that would be sex. Um, most of y'all, I'm assuming, were here last night. Yeah? Yeah, Brian, Brian covered sex pretty well, so I don't know. It seemed like it anyway. Um, so I, I probably won't go into that very far. But if you, if you have questions on it, let me know. And I, don't, I also don't, I don't like to get into sex too, like a sex talk with this, in this particular setting. So, um, in, in our premarital counseling, the very last session is about your wedding day and then sex. And so we normally tell our premarital uh, mentor couples, don't do that one too far out from their wedding day. So whenever we, whenever we walk through premarital with a couple, I always like to do it a week or two before their wedding if possible. Because it, it could just be like a difficult, not difficult and like hard, but it could be that. But you're, you're getting all those, all those hormones like riled up and I don't want to do that like two months out from their wedding day. So anyway, that's the last session in, in that. So um, you guys have, um, you've got that in front of you, uh, that stack of worksheets, should say the four loves at the top. That's the one you guys were cheating, I think, and already filling it out. Um, go ahead and take like, let's see. Go ahead and take, let's take 10 minutes and fill that out. Does that sound okay? Cool. Let's take 10 minutes and fill that out. So um, a, a quick word on it, though. This is not a compatibility test. So when you go down through there, um, if you realize you don't have, I'll get you, I'll get you all some, okay? Yeah. Um, if you realize you go down through here and you said she was a one on something and she actually said she was a 10 on it, don't throw your hands up and go, oh, we shouldn't get married. Because this, this is not a compatibility test. Um, if you have any questions on it, let me know. You're supposed to just kind of rank them one through ten. Are we the first page? Yeah, yeah, just do the four loves page. Just the, yeah, just that first one. Yeah. Okay, so, welcome back. Did y'all cool off a little bit? It's amazing when you just step into the balcony. It's so much cooler in there. Um, did y'all? What do y'all think about that worksheet? The sheet you just went through. What do you think about it? 
comments on it? Did, it, did anybody get more than like four or five right about the other person? What? So again, keep keep in mind it's really it's really just to start get you thinking about the other person. Um, it's not a compatibility test. I don't put much stock in compatibility tests. I think if if the goal of um, if the goal of the marriage or if, like not goal if if what you're called to in marriage is to love and love the other person, lay down your life for them and lay down your desires to love them and serve them. Um, compatibility kind of goes out the window because you're called in that covenant to that I erased. You're called in that covenant to, to always be there and to lay down your life for them. And so um, you, you can't go back after a year of marriage and go, oh, I just don't know if we're compatible. I just don't know if, you know, we don't like doing the same things. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, if, if the person that you're sitting with, y'all don't share any interests at all, you should probably ask yourself why, like, or maybe why you're sitting there. Um, this is probably a good time just to interject this. I was going to wait until the end, but it seems like a good segue. Some of you should probably have a conversation about whether or not you should get married. It's a tough conversation to have, but trust me, you're better off having that conversation now than the moment after you say, I do. And this guy in the, in the officiate says, um, and I'll pronounce you man and wife. Because the conversations that you have now are quite different than the conversations that you will have after that day from the moment you step off of there. So some of you should have that conversation. And it may be a difficult conversation. You can come have it with me or one of the other guys on staff, one of the other people on staff, Lee's on staff. We can help you process through it, but um, statistics would show, this is a horrible thing, statistics would show a lot of this room could end in divorce. Some of that's because people don't understand what love is, what marriage is. They walk into it, um, things get difficult, it gets hard, and what you find is instead of laying down their life for one another, it's a constant bickering about, you didn't give me what I want. I wanted this, you didn't give it to me. What happens is people find themselves in a spiral downward and they don't know how to get out of it. So, now that I dampened everything, <laughs> We'll get, we'll get going back into, uh, back into our stuff here. Uh, we're going to talk about communication in just a second, but I want to read a quote for you um, just to, um, about what we just talked about. This is a quote from Stanley Hauerwas, um, old Duke University professor. Um, Hauerwas says, We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. So again, being a student of your spouse, this may not be the person who you thought it was. Um, a lot of people, you talk to them a few, a few months after their marriage, and they will, they will totally back up that stranger part. That person feels like a complete stranger to me. They don't seem like the same person who I married beforehand. Well, you're, you're seeing each other's junk. When you're in that dating relationship, a lot of times you don't, you don't see that sin because it can be easy to hide your sin and your selfishness, which is sin, 
it can be easy to hide it in a dating relationship. It's much less easier to hide it when you go into that house, you close the door, and then it's just you two. And then game on, because it gets really selfish. So um, that's that. Any questions on that or what we talked about before the break? Cool. Um, we're going to talk about communication. If you got your Bibles open, you got your phones still out, let's go to, uh, just prior to where we were before, let's go to Ephesians 4. Um, and we're going to read Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. As, we're, as I'm reading this, I want you to think, um, what's the purpose for communication? Or what's the purpose for um, relationship to another person? So Ephesians 4, we'll start in verse 25. We'll just go through the end of the chapter. Uh, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Uh, For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Did anything in there stand out as far as purposes of communication? Purposes of relationship with another person. You can throw it out, even if it's a wrong answer. Okay. Okay. So you've got another person there who's actually speaking truth to you. Right. Okay. Great. What else? There's not necessarily a wrong answer. Great. Right. Build people up. We, we said supporting, right? Didn't we say support somewhere? In my chicken scratch? Maybe not. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So building them up, supporting them. Yeah, okay. Explain that a little bit. I'd agree with you, but... Okay. Can you guys hear what she's saying? That's okay. Yep. Anything else on Ephesians 4 you guys want to say? So I would say that the, what we see here, and you guys have kind of touched on it, but the purpose of communication is to minister. So it's, it's to nurture the well-being of another person. Are you for them? If you're for them, it should come out in the way that you talk to them. So if you're not for them, it's probably going to be that you're not kind to one another. You are not tenderhearted. You don't forgive one another. That could be because you're not quite understanding what it is that Christ forgave you. But if you are, then you'll be kind to one another. You'll be tenderhearted. Forgive one another because God and Christ forgave you. So... Um, what are some ways that we communicate poorly? This doesn't have to be just about you guys, but in general, 
What? He's not talking about it, right? Yeah. Okay. Is that similar to that, or do you have something else in mind? Like talk about it on a shallow level? Okay. 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 I mean, just kind of listening, but not actually hearing what the other person is saying. Okay. Okay. Cool. Think about think about this too in in terms of um, when we communicate poorly. What is it that we want when we communicate poorly? And I'm thinking particularly like. Um, I have in mind here, um, my wife and I are in an argument, and I just want to be—I want to be hurtful to her. So in this in this case, this communication is going to be to hurt her. I know the exact thing to say to cut her deeper than anyone else, right? Because I spend the most time around her. I know what she struggles with. I know what her fears are. That's a delicate thing. But if I want to communicate to hurt her, I know the things to say to do that. Believe me, it's happened, and I've had to apologize for it. So in that case, it's to hurt. What are some other ways that we do, that we communicate poorly, similar to that? Does that make sense? Okay. Lying. Lying? Okay. What is that? Why would we lie, though? Yeah. Keeping up appearances, maybe. Like I want her to. I want her to think this way of me. If she finds this out, it's gonna bump down here. Or at least that's what we think, right? Yeah. Okay. Explain that a little bit more. Okay. 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 Um. So I have, I have down here, you guys, those are all good things. I have down here, sometimes we communicate to control. We want to control a situation. Sometimes we communicate to win, to hurt, to embarrass, or to build ourselves up. I, want to, I, want, I just want to be better than you. Um, I struggle with, when, whenever Elizabeth and I get into arguments, I struggle with, I just want to win. I want, to, I want to, my argument to trump your argument. And I will keep escalating until I feel like that's happened. Does that make sense? Can you, any of y'all relate to that? Yeah. Um, so the other thing about this is no teaching techniques or coaching are going to be unsuccessful if that's how you choose to communicate. So it doesn't matter what teaching technique you use. It doesn't matter kind of what, what kind of coaching you get. If, you're, if your goal is to communicate to hurt, to control, to embarrass, no teaching technique is going to help you. Um, you, want to, you want to show them that you're for them, and that should come across in the way that you communicate with them. Um, the other thing about this, too, uh, we're going to get into, in just a second, some sending rules and some receiving rules. So ways to send information, ways to receive information. Before I do that, though, like, you should set times for talking. Don't just um, don't wait for date nights. To communicate, I know I know a lot of couples, they don't talk at all. So Aaron, you were saying like just you don't talk about it, right? 
And so I know a lot of couples, they don't talk about anything at all until they get to date night. Date night is kind of their, their night to like, now we're going to talk. I've always been of the opinion, date night is a time to laugh. You were talking, you know, laughing, um, enjoying one another, flirting. Yes, married people still flirt. Um, but those are times where you're supposed to be enjoying one another's company. Sometimes they do turn in time, into times where you, you end up talking about serious things. That happens. But Elizabeth and I really don't reserve our date nights for now we're going to talk about our kids, we're going to talk about how we parent, we're going to talk about how you hurt me, yada, yada, yada. That's not what we save those for. Um, now Elizabeth and I are both, we're both fairly extroverted people, which works out really well for us. We're both, and we're both, um, probably the more important thing, we're both verbal processors. So we're constantly talking probably more than we should be in front of our kids. But we're constantly talking, so we come home, we're talking, we're processing things. If, if one of you, if you're both verbal processors, that, that's great. If you're not a verbal processor, processor, that's okay too. That's how God's wired you, it's all right. But you've gotta talk about times and ways that you're gonna communicate. If one of you is a verbal processor and the other is an internal processor, how are you gonna communicate? It doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean you're not compatible. But you do need to talk about how you're going to communicate. If both of you are internal processors, how are you going to communicate? How are you going to know what the other person's thinking? You should talk about those things in set times. You got something, man? This kind of ties into studying your stuff. You guys were all models of the way to communicate, argue, whatever you want to call it, right? We can walk around with the babies and just take and ask them questions. Okay, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I grew up in a house where the parents exploded at each other and then locked them loose. So I, I know me, I know her. And my brother, huge to my wife, is I can't lose mine. Now, that is basically my thing of her. We have to talk about this. She knows that's my genius. You can't lose your mind. And, and the vice versa, my genius is, and I'm going to encourage all of you guys to find it. Women find it on your cave too. I call my man cave, it's my garage. Um, I'm such an old case and talked about whether it's an argument or a hard conversation or a life calling about something.
love that every young couple looks to me eyes and says, oh, we have a bot. We have a bot. Oh, we're, we're not going to talk about that. It's, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Um, that's a good point. Like I, I would say there are, um, there are reasons, and it's okay to postpone if you're having a fight. There, it's okay to like postpone, take a step back. It's not okay to sweep it under the rug and not talk about it at all. Um, and I would say you want to talk about it that night, not the next day. So Elizabeth and I will um, really, who am I kidding? This is just me. Um, if we're in that moment, I'll say, hey, I, I just got, I got to take a break. I need to take a break. And I, I don't normally go uh, sweep my garage because my garage is a mess. Um, I just walk in my backyard, try and do some time praying. A lot of times it's just cooling off, saying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Um, more often than not, what happens is I'm out there and I realize, oh, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I said that was wrong. Not wrong to take the conversation here, Here's what I said to control or to win or to hurt or to embarrass. And then I go back inside and say, I realize I did this. I said this and I said it to hurt you and I'm sorry. That takes our conversation to a whole new, uh, to a different place, right? We, that takes us to a place of reconciliation. So now we're reconciled, we can kind of, we can probably continue talking about what we were talking about, but actually rationally do it. Does that make sense? So it's okay to postpone it. It's okay to say, I, I gotta take a time out. I just need to take a break. And then come back to it, but always come back to it. Don't let it, don't sweep it under the rug. Um, my father's generation, and probably some of your fathers were like that. It was just, we might have an argument, but then we're gonna sweep it under the rug. Don't do that. Keep talking about it. But it's okay to take a break. Um, so we're gonna talk, you should have uh, one of your back sheets, I think on that, the ones that are stapled together, um, one of those back sheets should say communication rules. For some of you, it may be on the very back part of it. Is, that, is there one on there that says communication rules? Cool. Does it basically say like sending and receiving? Cool. Great. So we're going to talk about, um, again, we're going to talk about sending rules first, and then we're going to talk about receiving rules. So. Um, I'm going to kind of go through these. I might read some of them, and then I might ask you on occasional some of these, hey, what are some ideas of questions that would be like this? All right? So, sending rules. When, whenever you are sending the information, take time to clarify and be specific. So, don't hint, say. So don't say something like, uh, hey, uh, I really like that truck when what you really want to say is, I think we should buy that truck. Because you're telling her, okay, cool, he wants to buy the truck. All right, well, you ain't going to get the truck, so don't worry about it. But he, he wants to buy the truck. He wants to go ahead and write the check to buy the truck. There's probably no other man in here than me. I'm preaching to myself. But if what, you're, if what you're wanting to say is, I would like for us to buy that, don't say, hey, I really like that, hoping that that person's going to actually read your mind and get it. So don't don't guess. Ask. Um, don't generalize. So be pointed. If you feel 
This is a, a sex one. So if you feel like your wife is not having sex with you frequently enough, don't start growling that she isn't keeping the house neat. So don't get upset about, don't get upset about one thing, but then like, really you're upset about this, but something boils over and you're just gonna kind of take it out in this area, right? You just don't keep the house neat at all. What you're really frustrated at, you've been thinking about it for two days is, we haven't had sex for two days. Um, so don't, don't focus on peripheral issues. So don't, don't focus on, um, if this thing went away, would I be happy with this thing, right? So that's a similar thing. Like, if this was actually better, would I really be happy about this? If the house was neat, would I be happy about our sex life? Probably not. So whatever it is that, like, you're, that you're frustrated about, talk about that thing. Don't try, and, don't try and take it out on that person from somewhere else. Does that make sense? Um, last one on this one. Never refuse to talk about an issue. This just goes back to what I said a second ago. You can postpone it. That's okay. Never refuse to talk about it. And that's a tough one. That's a really, really tough one. Particularly when you start talking about um, issues of sin rooted deep in our hearts. That's a tough one. Talk about it. Struggle through it. The person that you're going to enter that covenant with it is the closest relationship. That person will know you better than anyone else in your life will know you. Um, that's the relationship where it's safe. It's safe for you to say, hey, I struggle with this. And then you're speaking truth to one another in love. So never refuse to talk about an issue. <laughs> um, next kind of big point. Share feelings as well as ideas. In other words, integrate yourself into your message. <clears throat> 